What a beautiful song. Amen. Chase, were you able to record that for us? I would encourage you, maybe this afternoon or sometime at least this week, go to our media page, usually the YouTube uh, video of our special songs is right there, and I'd encourage you to listen to that a few times this week. I don't think I got all the words the first time through. I don't think I got all the meaning the first time through. And I'd encourage you to take some time this, um, this week, this afternoon. Beautiful, beautiful testimony, but really even a prayer. Lord, I want, that's exactly where I want to be. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the second book of Samuel, chapter 1. Second Samuel, chapter 1. The service went very differently than the message. And I get a little nervous when that happens. But I know, I know that we all come to church with different needs. And I trust that this will be a blessing and a help to you. I see that we're getting a little late start this morning preaching, and I came loaded for bear. I've got six points, and uh, if we don't finish it, that's all right. We'll finish it tonight, um, depending on how the Lord leads us. This is our last sermon, unless I have to do this in two parts, on our series in Jonathan, and uh I've always admired Jonathan, but this series has really just, Jonathan just keeps doing the right thing. When no one else is doing the right thing, Jonathan's doing the right thing. And he doesn't get any reward in this life for it. Jonathan deserved to be king. He really did. It wasn't his sin that cost him the throne. It was his father's sin. He, I know that Jonathan had sin in his life because we all do, but the Bible never mentions any. Every time we see Jonathan, he's loyal, he's faithful, he's doing the right thing. And in the last chapter of 1 Samuel, Jonathan, along with his brothers and father, are killed in battle. So I'm inviting you to stand with me. In the first part of the first chapter, the second book of Samuel, a uh, Amalekite lies to the king uh, to David about what happened on the battlefield. First Samuel t- the last chapter tells us the truth. And then this guy comes and lies hoping to get a reward. He's an opt- opportunistic mercenary. But David is now aware that Saul and Jonathan are gone. And we'll pick up our reading in verse 17. 
And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Also he bade them, the children of Judah, to the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasser. Let me just pause here. He's not telling the children of Judah to learn how to use the bow. This is the name of the song. Okay? The beauty of Israel was slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for there... The shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasing in their lives, and in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and other, with other delights, who put on raiment of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thy high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan, very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen, and the weapons of war perished. Father, we have sung of your love and how your blood covers our sins. We have heard about the blessings of being sanctified and, and how wonderful it is to live in the center of your will. But Lord, you have ordained that the word of God be the centerpiece of our services. And so I ask that you would anoint this servant one more time. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. May you be glorified and honored in it. For you alone are worthy. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jonathan was a great warrior. A man of great loyalty, of great faith. A man who never ran away from battle. A man who never ran away from controversy. But he has perished in battle. Word has come to David, and David laments. You know what I find interesting is that we don't use that word lament very often. Lamenting has become something of uh, an inconvenience in our culture. 
There are even funeral homes that are uh, experimenting with drive-through funerals and drive-through viewings, and and they have uh, you can drive up to the window, you can view the departed, and you can say some nice words to the speaker, and maybe get you know a, a little card you know of their their life. You know, like the handout at funerals, you can take one of those home with you, and you've spent your three to five minutes viewing the dearly departed, and on your way home, you go. We don't have time for grief. We don't have time for sorrow. We have no time for lament. One of the things that's becoming prominent, and funeral home directors are telling us this, that that there's a lot of people who want to skip the viewings and the funerals altogether. They don't even want to have any kind of service. And I would just tell you this, that funeral, that service, isn't for you. You're dead. I'm not trying to be crass this, this morning. You're, it's not for you. It's for those that are behind. And I just, I just am of the opinion that even if you don't want to have a service, one should be given anyways. You say, well, that's not very respectful of the dead. Well, the dead's not very respectful of the living. I know, that pastor's just got his opinion. He's a little strong about him. But, but our funerals are not are not just for the one that's passed. It's a time for us to, to celebrate a life and for us to be able to share. And it's a time for us to get closure, to be able to move on. Laments are important part of our culture. If I were to take a survey of, of all of Christianity and I would ask, what is your favorite book of the Bible? The number one is probably the book of Psalms. It's so important that if you get a little New Testament, they feel obligated to include the Psalms and the Proverbs. Psalms is an incredibly important book of the Bible. And, and how many times have you run for, to the Psalms for comfort and for encouragement? Thankful for the Psalms. Would you be surprised if I told you that more than 70% of the Psalms are laments? We recognize, we, we have a, an attraction, we have a, an understanding that we need to go to the Psalms in our times of grief and sorrow, and yet we don't take the time to lament. Lamenting is incredibly important in Scripture. In fact, it's so important that Jeremiah wrote a book called Lamentations. The whole book is just a lament, 100% of that book. And perhaps you haven't spent some time recently in the book of Lamentations because you're not lamenting the fall of Jerusalem. And yet, if you go and visit Lamentations for a little while, you'll find that Jeremiah asked God some questions there that you have asked God in your times of grief and sorrow. I like what Eugene uh, Patterson said 
about laments, he says, a lament is a bridge from life to death and from death to life. From life to death to life. That we, we have our life and, and it brings us to the place of, of death and, and, and then brings us back into life. I think this is an important concept for us. Is, and as we all have things that, that we have grieved and all of us have opportunity to grieve. The loss of loved ones, the, the loss of, of health, the loss of possessions, the loss of relationships. If I suppose if you wanted to be pessimistic, you can say that life is about things lost. Because often we go from, from loss to loss and, and in our blessings, well, we write our blessings in sand and we write our sorrows in stone. We remember those griefs. We remember those losses. They, they, they form vivid memories in our minds and sometimes our blessings are easily forgotten. Winds of time erase them from memory. A lament, a lament is important. And, and, and I think that perhaps a, a definition might help us. A lament is grieving without surrendering to the grief. It's, it's grieving, it's, it's sorrowing, it's, it's, it's expressing that grief that we have, but it's not getting stuck there and living there and getting bogged down there. As we've looked through this, this series of Jonathan, I have tried to keep Jonathan the focus and tried, tried to keep him as the center, but, but for this last sermon in this series... I really want to focus on David's grief and his lament over what's interesting here, and I don't want us to fail to note it, his grief over Jonathan we expect, but his grief over Saul that we wouldn't expect. David's been on the run. We're not sure exactly, but he was anointed probably 10 to 15 years before this. For 10 to 15 years, he's known that he is going to be king instead of Saul. For 10 to 15 years, he has basically went from battle to battle to battle to having, uh, to being pursued. He has, you would think in a sense that he would rejoice, but instead he laments. This morning, I would like to look at six important steps in grieving. I think it's important that we know how to grieve. I think that's a lost art. I've looked at this passage. I, I, I struggled to know how to preach this. I had, all, I had like three different ideas. I probably could have preached, I think I had at least four sermons that I had out of this passage before it was over. Aren't you thankful I only brought one this morning? <laughs> Poor Brianna's shaking her head so hard, I'm afraid it's going to roll back off. I hope she doesn't lose it. 
What I want to do to help us to understand these six steps, and, and this, this isn't from me, uh, uh, I believe a man by the name of uh, Damani uh, came up with these, and it's really helpful, and I see them here, and, and, and um, I have changed a little bit, but uh, I feel like it's helpful because I see John, uh, David following these this steps of grief, and uh, it uses the word grieve to help us to go from step to step. The first one of G, of course, is grant that there has been a loss. This is where we, I mean, right from the beginning, we get tripped up. We need to grant, we need to admit that we have suffered a loss. And it can be so difficult and it can be so hard for us to just admit that we have lost something, that there is something important that has harmed us and hurt, hurt us because it is no longer there. Or that person is no longer there. And you know, it's, it's interesting to me how we are, in, we, as a culture, we place certain, oh, what do I want to say, boundaries, certain rules on the things that you're allowed to grieve and the things that you're not allowed to grieve. My wife and I went through this many years ago. We had, God had blessed us with, with uh, Dennis and Brandon, and, and uh, we had it in our heart. We, w- we wanted a third child. And the Lord didn't give us a third child, and didn't give us a third child. And, and a long, long time of waiting. Dennis had stated for some time, we, I don't think we had told Dennis that we were wanting a third child, but Dennis had gotten it in his mind that he was going to have a little sister. He wanted a sister in the worst way. And so he prayed and prayed and he prayed for a sister. And and now it's been about a year since Dennis has had it in his heart to pray for a little sister. And I remember at the table, he says to us, I don't think God's going to answer our prayer or my prayer, I think he said. And as a father, my heart hurt because his faith is being challenged, and, and I don't remember how old he was. I probably could figure up six or, or seven or so. And here his faith is, is being tested and tried. And I don't know what to say because I'm grieving that we can't have a t- another child. And here's the thing. We couldn't be public with our grief. At least in our minds, we couldn't share our grief with anyone. We, we, our sorrow, we couldn't admit it to anyone. And at that time, we had uh, on our pastoral staff that we had those that had suffered infertility from uh, primary infertility. They couldn't have a first child until several years later. And, and here we're experiencing what they call secondary infertility. And we felt like we had no right to be sorrowful because we couldn't have a third child because God has already given us two and we had no right to grieve. We were wrong. We were wrong. We had suffered a loss. Something that that had been ours, fertility, we... God had given us Dennis and Brandon quickly after, after wanting to have children. And, 
And this was a great tragedy to us. And yet we could never acknowledge the sorrow in our hearts because we didn't know how other people would take it. And I know that in our culture, we've, gotten, we've placed boundaries on what you're allowed to grieve and what you're not. And I just want to say, if you're grieving it, you have the right to grieve it. I don't care if it's the loss of the car that you like and now you have to drive an old jalopy. And you say, well, there's people, there's people that don't even have cars. In fact, there's people that don't even have legs. How can I grieve this? Listen, just because someone has it worse than us doesn't mean that we are excused from having the emotions that we have. This, this bothers me. You know, when people say, well, someone's got it worse than you. So does that mean that we can't experience joy because someone has it better than us? If we flip it around, it doesn't make sense. But, and now listen, I don't mean wallowing. I don't mean, I don't mean getting stuck. I mean, and, and honestly, the reason we get stuck is because we don't go through these six steps. We, we stay stuck because we're not willing to go through the grief process. We're not even willing to admit that we're grieving what we're grieving. When a child leaves home and goes off to college, it should be a celebration. We have a, an open house that they graduated high school and that child leaves. And should we grieve? Sure. They're not dead. So-and-so lost their child. It's a grief. You're losing something. Home will never be the same. Doc says, you know, you're getting up there. You, you, you can't play football with the kids out anymore. Or maybe your body tells you that. And you know what? You might grieve that. Something you've done, something that you enjoy doing. Now it's gone. Or maybe the doctor says you have diabetes. Well, diabetes isn't that big de a deal. I mean, change my diet and I don't have the right to grieve it. Sure you do. Sure you do. As I think about the kind of church that we want to be, as I think about the kind of place that, that I want our community to know us for, there's, there's just a, 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 a motto, if you will. This isn't something I've run by the board or anything. I'm not put out, putting it on the church sign or, or on my business cards, but this is what I want people to know when they think of our church. Your brokenness is welcome here. And I don't think that if that's the attitude of our church, that we can put degrees of acceptance of people's brokenness. Oh, I'm sorry, that, that brokenness isn't important enough for our attention. Just buck up. In this place, if it grieves you, 
it's supposed to grieve all of us. Isn't that what the scriptures say? That we laugh together and we cry together. And there's going to be some griefs along the way that maybe we don't understand. And maybe we went through the same thing and it didn't bother us very much. But because it didn't bother you doesn't mean that the other person doesn't have a right for it to hurt them dramatically. They have a different background. They have different values. They have, they have different priorities than you have. They have different life experiences. They have different sensitivities. And I think one of the worst things that we can say to somebody who's grieving is, well, that happened to me and it didn't bother me. What's it matter if it hurts you or not? It doesn't, ma it doesn't matter if it hurts you or not. If it hurt them, it ought to matter. And when we tell people that they don't have a right to feel what they, they feel, do you know what happens? They stop telling us that they're hurting. And so you know what happens? They build walls around us because they have to protect their grief because they can't share their grief. Because they know that if we, they share it, they'll be judged. Your grief is not important enough. my role as a counselor, I've had people come to me with great griefs. And I've had people come to me with things that I have felt, and this is bad, I've never said it, but, but there's times I've felt, man, I wish I had it as good as you have it. They're, they're grieving in front of me, and I'm inside, I am grieving that my situation is way worse than they're describing. But I have a responsibility as pastor, as counselor, to set my grief aside in order to let their grief be healed. Now, I have a responsibility to myself to make sure I go through this process, too. But I can't say to them, if I love them, if I care about them, and I'm saying this to us as a church, we can't say to them, your grief is less than the grief I'm experiencing right now. If we really love them, and they've had the courage to share, we have to have the courage to love and accept their grief for what it is. But they're lamenting that they got a pay cut. They're still making more money than I've ever dreamed of making. It's all right. That's hard for them. Making less money is always difficult. Even if it is way more than you're making. Can we just love them? And, and feel with them what they're going through? Sure, they might be okay. But if their income's that big, they probably have expenses you don't dream of having. And they're going to have, and they recognize they're going to be grieving some losses along the pathways. They have to say goodbye to possessions. 
that you couldn't dream of owning. Sometimes I think it's harder to lose something than never have had it in the first place. I'm just trying to help us understand this morning that we need to be a place where you feel comfortable admitting you have a grief. I was hoping to get through three of these. R. Release past hurts. Release past hurts. Think of this especially as, as, um, as we uh, think of the passing of a loved one. You know, there's a practice that I really don't care for that happens at funerals. And that's the passing of the mic. Or letting it, people who just randomly get up and say something because not everybody who gets up there is willing to release past hurts. Some people think that, they, that that's their opportunity to say all the things that that person ever did to them that hurt them. And I get real nervous. I pr much prefer it scripted, and we've asked people that we know that can, that, that's going to speak kindly of the departed. That's just my preference. You tell me you want to pass the mic, I'll let you pass the mic, and I sweat and pray the whole time. <laughs> but you can do whatever you want. But when we're going through the grieving process, especially when we're talking about losing a loved one, you know what? If they were a loved one, if they were close, they hurt us. Every single person that you're close to, that you are, that you love deeply, you have hurt them. It's the nature of being close and being human and being flawed. I would love to tell you that I've gone this week without doing that, but I, can't, I haven't even gone this week without hurting somebody. And I had to say I'm sorry. It was unintentional. My motives were pure. But it's part of being a family, part of being friends. We say things that, or we do things, and we never even realized what could happen. And then do you know what? There's some people in our lives who they did hurt us on purpose. They did hurt us on purpose. Saul was that kind of person to David. And you know David could have written a song of rejoicing over Saul's death, but he wrote a lamentation. And you know what he says? He says nothing, nothing about the times he threw a javelin at him. He says nothing about 10 years of being on the run, not able to see his mom and, and having his... His own wife was taken to, from him by, by Saul and given to another man. It was his very first wife. And if I understand correctly, usually it was the first one that, that kind of was the favorite. Oftentimes. And I told you in this series that 
that Michael loved David, and it's the only time that, we can, that I can find in Scripture where a woman is said to love a man. And yet Saul has torn this marriage apart. He's divorced them. He's given Michael to someone else. David has reason for bitterness and anger and, and, and just to be seething for all that Saul has ever done to him. And it's not David's fault. David did nothing wrong. Jonathan says that to King Saul, and Saul admits it. This is not debatable. David did nothing to deserve the wrath of Saul. And yet when Saul dies, David doesn't bring it up. He says, you know what? It's not worth talking about. Like, David, is there anyone in history that, can, that could, could, could have gone through the things that you've gone through and at the death of, of your sworn enemy that they wrote a lament for? That parent that abused you, could you imagine writing a lament for them? That, that boss that abused you, that, that co-worker that mistreated you, that, that school bully. Whatever the case might be, that, that organization that mistreated you, that took advantage of you, that insurance company that denied your legitimate claim. I mean, the list goes on and on of people who have suffered... And perhaps have wounded us. And there comes a point, you know, that organization fell. Do we celebrate or do we mourn? I mean, I think there, there can be some rejoicing that the wicked could stop being wicked. There's a story in, of, in Milan about a cruel tyrant I forget if he was Lord or I forget his title, but he was, the, he was the ruler of Milan. And all the people hated the ruler. And all of them wished he was dead. And there was an old woman who I believe every day went to the chapel and she prayed for that ruler to have a long life. And that he would have good health. And that he would rule for a long time. Now this tyrant, he knew, he heard about this. He knew everybody hated him. He didn't care. But it kind of touched him that there was an old woman who was praying for him to have good health. A long life. He brought her into the castle and, and said to her, he said, I understand that you pray for me every day that I might live long and, and, and rule for a long time and have good health. Can you tell me why you pray for me like that? She said, I, I'll tell you the truth. I have a very good reason for the why I pray that way. She said, when I was young, we had a cruel and terrible tyrant that ruled us in, here in Milan. And people prayed and wished that, that he would die. And eventually, you know he did. And we got a new ruler. 
And that ruler was meaner and more terrible and more tyrannical than the previous one. And people wished and prayed and hoped that he would die. And eventually he did. And we got a third ruler that was worse than the previous two of them. And they were so horrible and so terrible and so miserable that I just can't pray for you to die because I'm afraid the next guy will be worse than you are. As I... As the story goes, the tyrant was so ashamed that he didn't punish the lady for her honesty. But what's holding you up? The cruelties done in your past. Do we just have to focus on them? Or can we release them? Now listen, I understand. Forgiveness is a process. You may, every time you think of that person, you may have to forgive them again. You may have to keep releasing it back to God. I'm not saying that it doesn't take time. Sometimes forgiveness is an act of the will that takes a place over and over. It may take a thousand times of saying, I forgive this person. I want no wrong to come to them. I'm not suggesting to you that forgiveness is a once-and-done kind of thing. I'm not suggesting that forgiveness is easy. But in the midst of someone passing, we ought not to be celebrating, or shall I say, especially publicly talking ill of the dead. It's a terrible thing when that happens. We should speak well. And I know, I know, there are some cruel things that are done. I know it. But we have to turn them over to the Lord because we can't do anything with it. What are you going to do with your bitterness? What are you going to do with those memories? What, what benefit does it serve you? I'm not suggesting we don't learn from those things. If there's an opportunity to learn and not be, put ourselves in vulnerable positions, maybe we should learn, although we should be careful that we don't learn the wrong lessons. But we need to release them. I'm going to get through the third one, and I'll let you go. I. Inventory past blessings. We've released the, we've released the, the bad, but, but we also need to take account of the good. We need to think about what God has done for us or, or how that person has been a, a blessing to us. I, I, I think of, of, of David as he's talking about uh, Jonathan. He says he's been, he's been a friend to me. He's been loyal. He's been, he's been more faithful to me than a, than a woman would be to her husband. Uh, Jonathan has been, he's, I just, wow, he, how the mighty have fallen. And, and Saul, he's mighty. And, and you daughters of Jerusalem, don't forget the benefits under Saul. He's robed you in scarlet. He's, put, he's a, uh, adorned you with gold. What in the world? Why are you a, not a, doing that, Dave, uh, uh, David? Why are, you, why are you talking about all the good that King Saul has done? I mean, as I read through the book of 1 Samuel, all I find is all the bad that he's done for the last several chapters. 
Few of us acknowledge his incredible start because it seems like so much of, the, of, of 1 Samuel is, is Saul being terrible. But David takes the time to recount past blessings. And so it's, it's good and it's right when someone has passed for us to say, uh, to tell stories. One of the things I find interesting is, is we go to viewings and as pastors we get to do that a lot. It's how, it, how will they'll, people go from weeping to laughing to weeping to laughing. It's, it's like a roller coaster ride. And it's healthy and it's good because someone will come up with a story. I remember when this happened and, oh, everybody's got to laugh. And, and then they'll cry a little bit because they're going. And then they'll, someone will say, oh, and remember when he, he liked to do such and such. And, and they'll be laughing again and pretty soon they're crying again. Man, it's exhausting if you really don't know the person very well. <laughs> but if you know them well, you know what's happening, you join in. You're weeping and laughing and weeping and laughing. But you're talking about the good. You're, you're praising the good. And, 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 and it's not just for the loss of a loved one here, but, but even what about the loss of health? You know, the, the one that can't play football anymore with the kids. But thank God for all the times that you could. Thank God for the times that, 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 you were all, that you got to play. Those that have lost health, thank God for the, those that are around you, the family and the friends and the church that's going to help you through this. And it's a wonderful thing in the midst of our grief to just take an inventory of all the blessings that we have too. That's not to minimize our pain. That's not to minimize the loss. But at the same time, it's, a, it's an acknowledging that our life isn't just one big ball of bad things. When we get in grief, we can get stuck there in the negative. We can get stuck there in, 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 in all the, the, oh, this won't happen again, this won't happen. But let's celebrate the good things. Taking inventory is important, especially of the good things. Because it helps us to, to begin that process of letting that thing or that person go. It's the beginning of that process of just celebrating that wonderful thing. And you know, if it's a broken relationship... This can be hard to do. But I think it's good to, to recall the good times that you had in that relationship. Man, man they're, but they're still alive. It's all right. You know, I think what happened, if, if every time a relationship was being broken and both, uh, both parties went through this grieving process and they got to this part of taking inventory of the blessings of that relationship, maybe a few, in fact, I believe, very strongly that fewer relationships would end up being severed completely because they would remember the benefits of that relationship. And I know people change, and I know sometimes, sometimes things happen and, and we have to, people can be toxic and, they can, and we have to set up boundaries. 
But man, if, if you can recall the, the positive and they can recall the positive, maybe it can help us to, to say I'm sorry and, and correct some of the things that are negative going on. Taking the inventory of the blessings. We don't do a good job of that. Our prayer times invariably, our prayer request time is invariably longer than our testimony times. When we ask for prayer requests, most of the time we have them pretty quick. When we ask for testimonies, we're slow. It's human nature. I'm not getting on you. I'm not criticizing. I'm the same way. But do you know what that means? That means we have to be intentional. We're going to have to do it on purpose. That's why it's good for us to ask for testimonies. And it's good for when the song leader on a Sunday morning when we don't normally have a lot of testimonies asks for them like he did this morning because you know what it does? It helps us to be intentional. What has God done for me this week? You, I, I, when, when that's... When we're asked for testimonies, that should be the first thing is, what has God done for me this week? Did God speak to me in that song? On Wednesdays, you know we're going to ask for them. That, that, you, you should be on the way to church as you're driving in your vehicle. You should already be planning your testimony. This is what God has done. Maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe you don't get an opportunity. Everybody else is testifying. Or maybe it just doesn't feel right. Or maybe you've just had a really bad weekend and you can't hardly find anything. But you know, I think we'd find a lot more if we'd be intentional about it. We'd take an inventory. I'm going to let us go because I'm only halfway through. <laughs> I'm going to finish it tonight. We'll put Zechariah in pause. I believe it's important to go through the grieving process. I think it's important to lament. And whether we do it through song, whether we do it through ceremony, or however we go through that process, David is setting a good example for us of how he laments the loss of Saul and Jonathan. And I hope you'll come back tonight as we try to finish up this message. Let's stand together. Sister Ruth Skank, would you dismiss us in prayer?